Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You're listening to Inside Schizophrenia, hosted by Rachel Starr Withers, an advocate who lives openly with schizophrenia. We're talking to experts about all aspects of life with this condition. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Inside Schizophrenia, a Healthline Media podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Starr Withers, here with my amazing co-host, Gabe Howard. Today, we're going to take an in-depth look at community involvement in the recovery of schizophrenia. There is a huge gap in how we, people diagnosed with schizophrenia, are expected to recover, get help, see a doctor, take medication, maybe a hospital stay, and then manage your symptoms and rebuild your new life. Like those first few things are specific. Like, okay, I'm active in a treatment plan. I'm taking my medication and managing my symptoms. Now what? How, how do I function in life? How do I fit myself into society? I want friends. I want to have a purpose. I want to belong. And I don't want people scared of me. I don't want people thinking I'm weird. How does managing my schizophrenia fit into all of that? These desires all fall under community involvement. Integration into the community is recognized as an important component of recovery for those with severe mental illnesses, also one of our biggest challenges. Joining us today is Phaedra Aldridge, who is the CEO of the British Columbia Schizophrenia Society and host of their podcast, Look Again, Mental Illness Reexamined. I'm always super fascinated at how we think that something is easy, but it's actually very, very complicated. It, it seems like when we're talking about community involvement and working with other people and managing our lives, we're just like, hey, you're cured. Go out and join the community. And then we stop. With schizophrenia, that's one of the big issues with dealing with the symptoms is that you want to isolate yourself away from people, away from the community, away from your family, away from your friends. That's one of my biggest struggles. Uh, it's to the point that my counselor, I actually have to log my social interactions every week and tell her about them. And I'm always like, oh, you're going to be so proud. I went out to eat with my boxing glass. <laughs> like the littlest things. I'm like, um, but that that's how much of an issue it is. And I know so many people listening tend to think I'm very outgoing and I'm, I'm really not. I'm, I'm very much of an introvert, but you hear the podcast, which you, you tend to think, yeah, oh, Rachel's really outgoing. Like Gabe is. Gabe has so many friends and he's so cool. Like who wouldn't want to be Gabe's friend? Well, hey, you know, I, I got to be friends with the great Rachel Starr. I mean, Starr is right in your name. You're a stunt woman. You're a YouTube channel. You've been on television shows. You've won awards. It's easy to get this idea in our head that you're this larger than life, very extroverted figure, because whenever we see you, you are by definition out. You are out in public. You are interacting with the rest of us. When you are doing introverted things, you're not out in public. And therefore, we're not thinking about you at all. And I, I think that's super important for people to understand because you're judging your life by every moment of it because we're not separated from ourselves. But then we look to others and we're like, oh, well, why can't I be more like Gabe? Why can't I be more like Rachel? Why can't I be more like the guy at Burger King? But you don't know what any of those people are doing when they're not in your view. So when we're talking about community involvement for schizophrenia, 
first we got to realize it's two separate things. One is the actual, like, the social part of having a social network of human beings to go and talk to, and then that frequency. You know, just because you live in society doesn't mean you're actually out there interacting that often with people. And then the other part is the psychological, feeling like you belong. Do I fit in this community? You can be surrounded by people and still feel alone. That's not a, a mental disorder issue. That, that's a common theme throughout humanity is feeling like you're around people, but you're also alone. Like you don't fit in and you don't belong with the groups around you. If you can't find your tribe, it's easy to be very isolated. And there's this phrase, alone in a crowded room, that, that applies to many, many people, and people with schizophrenia are no different. Just because there's lots and lots of people around doesn't mean that you found your tribe, found where you fit in, and found the people or the situations that give you joy. And I think it's really important for people to understand that, because so often than not, we're just like, well, you have schizophrenia, well, go out and make friends. But the reality is, is that it's difficult to make friends. It's difficult for everybody. And somebody with schizophrenia is carrying an extra load, an extra burden. Analysis that they've done on people with schizophrenia has shown that as far as community integration in real life, there are a few factors that help with it. One is having a higher personal income, lower depressive symptoms, lower positive symptoms, lower abnormal involuntary movement scale scores, and greater control over one's life. So to put this in not very correct terms, the more normal you are, <laughs> um, the, the better off your, your, your chances are. And that, that's not exactly, that, that's not exactly a, an uplifting thing for someone with schizophrenia. Like, okay, just the more you're like everybody else, the more likely you stand at making friends. So if you have less of a problem, it's easier to resolve. That, that, that seems to be the outcome of this particular study. Mm -hmm. Well, wonderful, wonderful. How does that apply to people living with schizophrenia, Rachel? Well, I mean, just think that applies to like anything if you think about like bullying in school. <laughs> you know, like you don't, you, if you're the weird kid, good luck. You know, try, try and be less weird. Like that, that's usually the advice. Like don't be so weird. But it's frustrating because when we're talking about something like symptoms, okay, and you're managing symptoms, how in the world do you stop those symptoms from manifesting in public? And a lot of the times you can't. On that list, the thing that popped out to me that was most interesting was the lower abnormal involuntary movement scale score. And what that is referring to is tardive dyskinesia. We've had an entire episode on it, spoke on it before, but that's involuntary movements as a result of antipsychotic medications many times. And this could be trembling, shaking, um, jerking movements, and even like tongue movements. Tongue movements for me is the main one that is noticeable. Um, I'll be at the gym and I'll suddenly look in the mirror and realize my tongue is hanging out of my mouth. And you'll be like, how did you not notice that, Rachel? I, I don't know. I've, I've just gotten so used to it as my answer. Um, and I'll be like, oh, crap. I hope no one thought I was, I don't know, badly flirting with them or something. Like, I, I do worry, like, what was my face? What kind of expressions was I accidentally making that I wasn't even aware of? I can see where this would be a real concern for people with schizophrenia. Essentially, your outside doesn't match your inside. But this, again, is a huge burden for somebody with schizophrenia, especially with the uncontrolled motions, because 
they're uncontrollable. It's right. It's right there in the name, Rachel. So there's really no advice that we can give people to manage uncontrollable motion, except that perhaps to explain that you have uncontrollable motions to people, which again is, is going to make you just super popular in social circles. Hi, everybody. Here's my manual. Here is everything that I'm doing, why I'm reacting this way and what all of my facial expressions mean. Can we be friends? How does somebody with schizophrenia manage all of this so that they can build their community, they can find their tribe and they can get along with their friends and neighbor, which is something that all of us humans want. What's suggested for people with schizophrenia and also service providers who are helping this population is social skills is to actually work on these things before you get into the situation. Take that once you've learned, go home, practice it for next time. So with me, yeah, the snake tongue thing happens a lot. I, I'm Now I'm pretty used to it. But actually practice, okay, if this happens in real life, when I'm out and about, what am I going to do? How am I going to respond? You know, if I see someone looking at me odd, kind of weigh out the decisions and talk to your family, friends, be like, If someone is doing this, what do you think is the best response? Ask other people. Rachel, let me ask you, though, when somebody does walk up to you and ask you if you are okay, does that embarrass you? Does it bother you? Does it worry you? I I think that some people listening would think, well, a a stranger asking you if you're okay, or even a well-meaning loved one or family member constantly asking their loved one if they're okay, can present its own social challenges it's different if it's a stranger versus a loved one, a family member, family member, loved one is aware that you have a problem, uh, that you have schizophrenia and you are working to manage the symptoms. Whereas a stranger ideally has no clue. You're just some random person who might be in need of help. Rachel, obviously under strangers are also going to be like law enforcement, for example. And I know that there's community involvement programs that are that are head up by society members, law enforcement, just all kinds of groups. What advice do you have for integrating yourself in there? Anytime we're bringing in the legal system, police, that is a whole new set of challenges. Studies have shown that police play a very pivotal role when it comes to access to the mental health care systems. Many times, police first responders are the first mental health care-related workers that someone with schizophrenia might come in contact with. That's one of the issues that we're always pushing on here about getting help and getting early. Speak to a doctor when you notice symptoms. Sadly, a lot of times, we don't reach out for help until we're in crisis, and maybe that help is forced upon us by other people. You want to reach out (laughs) and get help for yourself whenever you start to notice that you're having symptoms. Now, these reactions, it's it's good on one side, Gabe, because when society becomes involved, that's when we start to have government response and people wanting to make programs. But if it's always police getting involved, it's usually because somebody feels threatened. Society feels threatened. And that'll be a reaction is, oh, no, we need to get all these homeless off the streets. Oh, no, all of these mentally ill people have nowhere to go, usually being the fear that they'll come into my house, that they'll attack me. And that tends to shape a lot of the programs that we have access to. It is a good and bad thing um, because it's like, yes, now we have this program, bad that something had to happen for it to be creative. And unfortunately, that's something usually is rooted in fear. 
Ah, stigma rears its ugly head again. But but as we know, and as you alluded to earlier, stigma does not press upon all people equally. Where you live, your race, your gender, socioeconomic status, things like that really change how big of a factor stigma is. I'm about to tell you some amazing programs and understand, Gabe, all of these programs, there's good and bad. High-income countries, some of the community-based interventional programs include case management, intensive case management, crisis intervention, assertive community treatments. All of those are great. All of those are amazing. But did you notice it's kind of aggressive wording? <laughs> intensive case management, crisis intervention, assertive community treatments. Just reading the titles, I feel that there was definitely some fear involved that got those programs in place. Lower to middle income countries tend to have community-based programs like community-based rehabilitation, collaborative community-based care intervention. All of these programs are great and help people, but th there's definitely a different vibe going on. It does. It, it does. One sounds very friendly and one sounds kind of like, uh-oh. Assertive community treatment, which is incredible if you have access to this in your area. It is a team-directed program that helps people with severe mental illnesses like schizophrenia. And the goal is to help you get stable housing and help you integrate into the community and rely less on the hospital and to ease your family's burden by making you more independent. And I definitely feel like we're having to step in here and help you and we need to help your family. We need to help everyone that you're such a burden on. It, it, it does. It, it really... I don't feel like I'm being integrated in the community. <laughs> I feel like I'm being forced in because, oh, God, we have to include her. <laughs> or that you're being handled. It, it yes. sort of feels like you're being handled. Like, here's this problem and we've got to figure out how to handle it. With the assertive community treatment, this is pretty expensive to set up. It's a lot more detailed. You're going to have to have a bigger funding for that. Something like a collaborative community-based care intervention tends to be more structured psychoeducational information, medication adherence management, health promotion, and specific rehabilitation needs, and then linking with different self-help groups and networks and community agencies. Much more cost-effective it tends to be more of something for low-income to middle-income countries and areas. At the end of the day, that, that sounds wonderful too, but I do feel there's less specific schizophrenia management help because sometimes, yes, you do need a medical person stepping in and helping you with medication, counseling. So understand, both of these are good, but it's also going to be what's available in your area. You obviously did a lot of research for this show. How, how wide did you go? Did you go all over the United States? Did you go worldwide? All across the world. So much of this is falling on everyday citizens. So people are finding different programs. They're starting different programs. You have different health organizations that are doing pilot programs. Hey, let's see if this works. Let's see if that works. You have different countries that are stepping up and being like, hey, we have a major issue. One of them is China's 686 program which they were like, hey, we're having a major issue here with people with severe mental disorders like schizophrenia not being able to get help. So they developed a program where they would take the services and move them from mental health care settings into the community, pretty much helping and kind to get health care out and more open to people. While they were doing this, 
another project actually became made, and that was called the Unlocking Project, because as they're going out into these different rural communities and trying to bring medical help, they found a lot of people who were chained up, locked up by their family members, some of the times for their own safety, but they didn't know what to do. And it's a devastating thing to hear. I know I think everyone's gut reaction, Gabe, when you hear about people being locked up, chained up is, oh my God, they're just so cruel. Also, I can see that if you're in a very poor rural area and you're trying to protect your loved one, what are my options but to maybe lock them in a room? But in doing the 686 program, they were able to find all of these different people and they started another outreach with the Unlocking Project of helping get those people the help they needed, including getting the families the help they needed. Some parts even organized new trainings for early psychosis and helping people identify in their community people who were struggling and what to do and helping them with social skills, rehabilitation skills, and training families on how they can help their loved ones. I love it because all, all of this, you know, it started with one program and then they just kept finding needs and they kept changing the program as it went to different areas, as it went to different communities, because yes, some of the communities had different needs. And, that, and that's how it is everywhere, Gabe. I think it, we wanna look down on other countries, but here in America, we unfortunately, we still have numerous things that pop up in the news about just all these horrible cases and studies that this still happens everywhere. Rachel, I'm trying to wrap my head around this. And I, I, I know that I'm familiar with things like drop-in centers and clubhouse models. Can you explain what those are and how they work? Because in, in some ways, I, I think they're, I, I don't know if they're more common, but I, I can say they're simpler to understand. Yes, drop-in centers, clubhouse models, both of those are amazing. They've been used for many years all across the world. One of my favorite is the clubhouse model, and that tends to be a peer help facility. And what it is, a non-clinical, integrated, therapeutic working communities. Usually you all work together, pay rent together, and it teaches you responsibility. It also lets you work on social interactions and being part of society in a safe environment, as opposed to just being thrown out on your own, good luck, get a job and, and hold it and pay your rent. A lot of times that, that's harder. Most of us are familiar with halfway house. That would be along the same lines as the clubhouse model would be like a halfway house for people coming out of prison or dealing with substance abuse disorders. All of these are great. I wish they were available everywhere. I know, Gabe, you have lots of experience with the drop-in centers. I don't. <laughs> there are not any in my area. I've never been to one, but every time you've talked about it, I thought, God, that's so cool. I feel like I would want to like be dropping in there weekly. I'd want to like volunteer. I'd want to help out. I'm not surprised that there's not a clubhouse or, or a drop-in center in your area as you live in a more rural area. Here is the downside of the clubhouse and drop-in model. You need a lot of people who want to utilize the service uh, who can walk to it. A lot of people who use clubhouse and drop-in models, they need, need to be on a bus line. They need to be able to get there. It, it's not a group of people that, that has access easily to transportation. Now, again, that's not one size fits all. I'm not saying that everybody who uses a, a drop-in center or a clubhouse 
doesn't own a car. I'm just saying that when you're trying to make it economically feasible to justify the rent, the employees, the activities, the, the, the free coffee, a lot of, a lot of places have free coffee. You can't just have two or three people dropping by in a day. Uh, that that's just not the kind of thing that, that you can sustain funding for. So it's much more common in big cities and it's much less common in less dense, less populated areas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Gabe Howard here to tell you about the Inside Bipolar podcast from Healthline Media. He does the show with me, Dr. Nicole Washington, a board-certified psychiatrist. That's right. A guy living with bipolar and a psychiatrist team up to discuss living well with bipolar disorder. Listen now on your favorite podcast player or visit psychcentral.com IBP to learn more. Subscribe now so you don't miss out. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And we're back discussing community involvement for people diagnosed with schizophrenia. What I am very familiar with are homeless shelters. And a lot of those have kind of just day drop-in centers where I live. I, I wish it was a bigger model. you Because know, having schizophrenia, I, I, I'm not homeless, so that's not what I need. But there, there really isn't a place I can go. Like you're saying, there isn't a place I can just drop in and just be around people I can just go be around peers who have been in the same situations I have. I really wish that was an option for me because it's like either you're homeless or there's also a lot of drug rehab programs, but that's it. It's like if you don't fit those two things, and I think that's that's the frustration for a lot of people with schizophrenia is that can we utilize those? And, and the answer is maybe. <laughs> it, it depends on the area. Obviously, most of the burden to facilitate community involvement program falls on everyday people. It, it, it falls on on nonprofits, volunteers, social, religious groups. And even if they can get government funding, I, I don't know of anybody who's ever said, oh, my God, I've got government funding. I'm just rolling in cash. We're we're doing more with less, more with less, more with less, more with less. So these people are working really, really hard to help people with schizophrenia be involved in the community. One of these amazing groups is the British Columbia Schizophrenia Society. Their podcast, Look Again, Mental Illness Reexamined. A little bit about the BCSS's podcast. Navigating and understanding serious mental illnesses can be complex, both for individuals living with the illness as well as their loved ones and community. Hearing firsthand stories can bring comfort in knowing that we aren't alone. Look Again Mental Illness Reexamined podcast is a resource to help expand your understanding of the many dimensions of mental illness. 
It dives deep into the big questions that families face during different stages of the mental illness journey, from recognizing initial symptoms to the pursuit of a diagnosis and the search for effective treatment. It shares personal stories from individuals living close to schizophrenia or other serious mental illnesses, as well as insights from experienced researchers and medical professionals across the globe. Recent episodes explore topics like social media's influence on mental illness stigma, first episode psychosis intervention, using virtual reality to treat psychosis, the untold challenges of mental illness care, and tons more. I'm so excited today to be speaking with Phaedra Aldridge, who is the CEO of the British Columbia Schizophrenia Society and the host of the Look Again Mental Illness Reexamined podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, Phaedra. Oh, Rachel, thanks for having us. Well, first of all, help me out here. What exactly is the British Columbia Schizophrenia Society? That is a huge name. It sounds very official. (laughs) Yes. The BC Schizophrenia Society, otherwise known as BCSS, is a longstanding provincial nonprofit organization. And there's a few things that make us unique. Number one, we are focused on schizophrenia and other severe and persistent mental illnesses, not mental health illnesses. The second piece, we are focused on providing support for family members with a loved one with schizophrenia or another serious mental illness. And we're across the entire province. So we do have team members in those more rural and underserved areas. Now, the programs and the work that you do, is it more towards family members or towards people with schizophrenia? Good question. So many times family members tend to get forgotten. Mental illnesses, as we all know, is extremely challenging both for the individual that has been diagnosed with the illness, but also for those that love and care for that individual. So the type of programs that BCSS offers is targeted for those family members or caregivers caring for the individual with the illness. And we do that through a multitude of ways. There's family support groups. We have a program called Strengthening Families Together, which is a six-week program. We also offer one-on-one support. So a family is wondering, how do I manage? My loved one is changing. My son, my daughter, my partner is, is transforming you know, and, and acting different than he or she ever has before, what do I do? Then BCSS is there to help them along their mental illness journey within the medical system. Why is it so important to educate the family members? Oh, Rachel, education is so important. You know, schizophrenia, as we know, is one of those illnesses that still is surrounded by so many myths. And I truly think that the only way we're ever going to make a difference is through education. And that's educating at a societal level. And that's why we have podcasts and conversations like this is to do everything we can to talk about schizophrenia and to talk about mental illnesses that exist because of the many myths and the stigma that surrounds it. What has been the response from family members who found your different programs and resources? What we hear consistently from families is that it provides them a safe space to be able to talk about their situation. And of course, every situation is different. Every family is different, but it gives them that space to be able to talk about it, a safe space. It also provides hope. There's many people that live with schizophrenia that are doing very well. And I think we need to, we need to talk about the realness of the illness 
but we also need to talk about the hope and those individuals that are doing well. One of the resources that you offer is the Look Again Mental Illness Reexamined podcast. Talk to us about that. Yes, we have our podcast. It was launched in 2021, and that is with support from BC Partners. And the reason we started the podcast was because we realized that there was a gap. There was a gap when it came to podcast focusing on schizophrenia and other severe and persistent mental illnesses. So we talked to researchers, we talked to medical experts, we talked to family members, and we talked to those individuals with the illness. And we hear about their individual journeys and the strength that they all display and their the hardships that they faced. And it's just been it's been a huge learning curve for me as one of the hosts of the podcasts. In, in learning and sharing stories with people. And the, the part that I love about the podcast is it connects us. It doesn't matter if you're in South Carolina, if you're in British Columbia, it doesn't matter where you are, that schizophrenia does not discriminate. It unites us and it allows us to talk in a very real setting and shine the light on an illness that many of us don't want to talk about. So we have real conversations, we discuss the new research, and it just gives us a chance to talk and really talk. No topic is off limit. We talk about absolutely everything, and some conversations are really hard. And based on new evidence, BCSS has adopted the figure that schizophrenia now affects 1.8% of the BC population And psychotic disorders affect 3% of BC's population. Those are high numbers. So this illness is not rare. And I think that's something that we really try and stress to, number one, make sure that people are aware of those statistics, but number two, to make them feel that they're not alone. And it wasn't something that they did or didn't do why their loved one has this illness. And I think the more we can talk about the prevalence rate and the illness itself, then we can focus on the implications of the illness, the economic implications, the social implications, what it means for housing and um, everything that surrounds the illness. Do you have any personal connection with schizophrenia in your life? I do have a personal connection and it's still a difficult one for me to talk about. I lost my sister to schizophrenia. Sorry. In 2019, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's still a it's still a difficult one to talk to, and it is one that's not easy. It's one thing when you, and that's why I chose to get into this work. It 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 helped guided me into choosing to get involved. I needed to understand. Yeah, it helped guided my decision to get into this line. I've. Through this podcast, Inside Schizophrenia, we've got to speak to numerous family members who, similar situation, they found our podcast after the fact. What hope do you have for people like that who've lost someone to schizophrenia and they're just now trying to put the pieces together on what happened? Schizophrenia is one of those illnesses where it's not even after you've lost a loved one. It's, it's also navigating the system. And a very real piece to schizophrenia that's not always talked about is anosognosia, which is another big word. Anosognosia means that the individual does not have insight into their illness. 
So if they do not have insight to their illness, why would they seek treatment? Why would they get help? And unfortunately, with many mental illnesses, it's a journey. And you go up and down, and there's good times and there's not good times. And it's something that we need to talk about. Mm -hmm. They need us. What are your plans going forward for your podcast, Look Again, Mental Illness Reexamined? Where do you want this to go? The podcast is, it is for every single person that is listening to the podcast and needs us. And maybe they're hesitant to reach out. Maybe they're, they're hesitant to ask for support. So hopefully our podcast is, uh, is a safe space for them to feel the support around them and to give them the courage to be able to reach out and to be able to get information, even if they're sitting in their car, sitting in their bathroom, (laughs) listening to the podcast. But maybe it gives them an opportunity to ease into getting help if there is some hesitancy there. There's lots of laughter on the podcast, but there's also some real conversations that need to happen. And we need to continue having those conversations. And how can our listeners learn more about the British Columbia Schizophrenia Society and your podcast, Look Again, Mental Illness Reexamined? Yeah, Look Again, Mental Illness Reexamined is everywhere, Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like any more information on BCSS, please go to our website, www.bcss.org. Awesome. Thank you so much, Freder. Oh, Rachel, thanks so much for having me. And let's not ever stop talking about this illness. Let's keep talking about it and doing everything we can to increase awareness and to make the change that is so desperately needed. Absolutely. Rachel, as always, great job. I'm just curious, as someone who lives with schizophrenia, what's your take on the British Columbia Schizophrenia Society? It's great. I just wish it was more universal. You know, there are tons of similar organizations out there, like, for instance, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI. But all of these are grassroots efforts, and they all start from concerned citizens. That's the most frustrating thing, because I have so many people, Gabe, and I know you do too, people with mental disorders, family members, caregivers who reach out to you over the internet, and they want help. And they're like, Rachel, what what, what about my area? What, what do I do to get help? What are some of the programs? And my response is always the same. Well, it depends where you're located. <laughs> because that that's the answer. And I wish there was like this universal thing that I could be like, oh, bam, bam, bam. Okay, this is the first thing you're going to do. Then you're going to enroll in this. And then you're going to see if, if you qualify for this program. But that's not how it works. I love that the British Columbia Schizophrenia Society, they're making it very clear this is not just about Canada. They're working to do this podcast so that people all over the world can get the knowledge. I, I really am, am sad. I, I'm sad that the, that the biggest names that you mentioned, NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and they do all mental illness, right? That's a that's a really, really, really big goal. And, and so often this is discussed as all mental health, all mental illness. And we we don't have a lot of charities that, that break away or a lot of groups that break away and focus on one thing. And just there's just not that many schizophrenia advocacy groups. And the vast, vast majority 
majority of them are not national. They're very localized. Uh, so I'd like to see people living with schizophrenia and their families have more of an opportunity to meet and address the unique needs and the unique challenges of your community, Rachel. And I'm, I'm really glad that it's happening on some level. Absolutely. Now, Gabe, let's talk about how to get more involved in the community. First, let's talk about making a change. And this is for anybody, whether you're a person with schizophrenia, family, loved ones, caregivers, educators, students, medical professionals. What programs do you already have in your area? Look into those. Is there any way you can support them? Volunteer at them? Help get the word out? Something that's incredibly important is just getting the word out. You may have a great program or a great group out there, but nobody knows about them. How can you help spread the word about them? A really good question to ask is, how could I have learned about them sooner? Maybe Instagram, maybe just general signs, maybe going to a doctor's office if they had had a brochure. Then look around what programs or services are lacking in your area. Is there anything you can do to help that, to assist them? And now for my people with schizophrenia, here's the what I, I really like, actually integrating into the community. This is going to be one of our biggest struggles with schizophrenia. As I told you about, my counselor makes me log my social interactions. That's how bad I am at it. So if you're out there and you're feeling alone and Rachel, I don't have any friends, I have such a hard time, you know, being around other people, you are not alone. Okay, this is a huge issue that so many of us are dealing with. Here's my best advice. Join a club, group, gym, class, a sport, a religious organization, a community rec center. Find something that you are interested in. And ideally, it needs to have a physical component to it so that you're not just sitting around talking. That tends to take the pressure off. Let's say I join a rec soccer league where I can go and show off my soccer skills and be part of something. Support groups are great, but when we're talking about the, just the general community, something with movement usually tends to help. Part-time jobs, volunteer. Also, find free events to attend, meet and greets. If you've ever looked into it before, there is a website app called Eventbrite, and it has different events in like your area you put in, you know, where you're located. And one came across mine the other week for a polar plunge. You, you know you're listening to the Inside Schizophrenia podcast when Polar Plunge is one of the things that Rachel offers up. Yes. <laughs> it popped up. It was a free event to go to. And I said, hey, this would be a good way for me to meet some new people outside of my normal network. And I go to this thing. And if you don't know what Polar Plunge is, you go swimming in January outside and then we also had to drip dry. You couldn't just dry off the minute you got out. You had to drip dry. And you learned, you know, like being tough and cold and invigorating. Only 20 people showed up because only 20 people are crazy enough to do this. And I don't mean crazy as in mental disorder. I mean crazy as in just generally crazy fitness people. We had a great time, though. I got to meet all new people and it pulled me outside of my bubble. And lastly, work on your social skills. Ask for help from friends and family Work on speaking. And if you mess up, it's not that big a deal. You just learn to try again. So what if you embarrassed yourself at the gym or you embarrassed yourself at a club or you said the wrong thing? It's okay. You can try again tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Inside Schizophrenia. Please like, share, subscribe, and rate our podcast. And we'll see you next time here on Inside Schizophrenia, a Healthline Media podcast. 
you've been listening to Inside Schizophrenia, a podcast from Psych Central and Healthline Media. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash IS or on your favorite podcast player. Your host, Rachel Starr Withers, can be found online at rachelstarlive.com. Co-host, Gabe Howard, can be found online at gabehoward.com. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.